from the water. I come from the water. I come from the water. I come from the water. What is up, internet? Son, unfuck this mess. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we're made in the image of the Lord. Well, more me than you. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The Shape of Water. If I take the shape of water, will you take the form of a bucket? Form of bucket. Wonder <laughs> Twins, activate. That. You know, Shahir, uh, the, the shape of water, I mean, it could it could be anything. It could be, it really, yeah, I mean, Bruce Lee said that the most powerful element in, the most powerful weapon in the world is water, so be like water. They there you go and Bruce, uh, you know, enter what? What was that real garbage Bruce Lee movie that came it out this into year? Wasn't Enter the Oh, uh, oh, the the one about his life. But it uh, wasn't about his life. It was about his like weird, like maybe he was his friend's life. Yeah, I I haven't given up. I know Wong Kar Wai made the Grandmaster beginning is, of the drag. I don't yeah. fucking know. Anyway, <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about a good film. The Shape of Water. Yes, that is right. I was, <laughs> not the, I was gonna say the form of a bucket. <laughs> oh, no, the form of a bucket. Oh dear. What was, what was the Wonder Twins monkey? Sleek? Zeke? Is it, I don't think I've honestly, you know what? Take my You're nerd the comic book guy. Take this my is... nerd card away. I don't think I saw one Zeke. I'm pretty sure it was Zeke. one episode about oh. the Wonder Twins. I really? just know the meme ability of it. Oh man, I used to love the Wonder Twins. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Did I you try to... out to be the third Wonder Twin? I should have been the third Wonder Twin. I... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So listeners, uh, before we get into the actual film review, hello. Uh Shahir, aka also known as almost the Black Power Ranger, found his his headshot. I did. We found my headshot from uh, from my Power Rangers day, and it is. <laughs> I have not aged well. <laughs> it is not, and he won't show it to me. No, no, you will uh, never see it. Maybe we make that a, a, a like a goal for something no, later on in the future. No, because it's one of those headshots where it's like. Oh, you even smolder eye? Yeah, I'm smoldering. Okay, and I'm like, and I look at it now, and I go, "You stupid fuck." Well, yeah, you were how old? <laughs> Uh, I would have been 21. There you go. That's the perfect age to be a stupid yeah, fuck. Yeah, but the thing is, like, you're, you know, you're smoldering, but you're also a stupid fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know like, that now. <laughs> but, like, the goal was to make 16 or 17-year-olds be like, that dude's awesome. Yeah, no, it was not cool. All right. I, there's a reason I wasn't the Black Power Ranger. Okay, well, I, they had I, br- I've yet to see that reason. Yeah, yeah, if there was a brown Power Ranger, I might have been it. But, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to try and persuade me to uh, write, uh, to sit, to post that photo, which I, w- by the way, I will never, ever do. So don't even try. No, you should try. But if you want to try, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod, as people have been doing for the last cu- uh, couple of weeks while we've been away yes. on vacation. By the way, welcome back from vacation. Oh, yes. You too. Happy, happy New Year. Happy New Year's to you. Uh, just before we move on, we know it's traditionally around this time of the year that we release our best of episodes. Yes. We are going to push that back just ever so slightly because, and this is not a reason of laziness, we actually just want to try and get a few more films in yes. that we think will make the cut. We've made very strict rules on ourselves that we can only include films that we've reviewed. Which I always break. I always Which you break. always break anyway, so I don't know. We're making these rules to break them, but then making more to not. I I don't know. Yeah, so we're just trying to get in. We're trying to cram in just a few more just movies. shove that cinema down, down, down all our, of our gullets. Yeah, down our gullets so that we can we can make that best of a, 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 a bitter, more comprehensive 
comprehensive look at the year of 2000, uh, 2017. Yeah, that was, that, the year, was, that was the year. And uh, we're going to try to do some special stuff with it. We're going to try to we're going to try to spruce it up a bit. So it's just taking a little more time on our zero budget. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the conversation around Star Wars continues as it does. Episode 968. Yes. Email 24. Uh, but we got uh, some lovely emails about Star Wars. Uh, you know uh, that I am not a fan of continuing the conversation around but Star Wars. But yet here we are. But keep here, it going. But keep it going. Uh, our listener, Maya, who had previously emailed us about Lady Bird, uh, uh, which we talked about on our Mudbound review, mm-hmm. emails us again. Thank you so much, Maya, for, uh, for getting in touch with us. We love getting your email. Emails. Uh, she just listened to our Star Wars podcast and knew that we were g- going to have a lot to talk about, but she wanted to give us our two cents, especially since she is not a Star Wars fan at all. I think we did ask for that, for people who weren't Star Wars yes, fans, we did. what their opinions of uh, Star Wars was. She uh, starts this email telling us um, that the one thing that truly sucked about her movie experience was that the uh, theater seemed to have a lower brightness. And she even says it felt like the film was filmed at one or two f-stops lower, which, which leads me to believe she might work in photography or in the film industry. We are slowly building your personal and professional profile, Maya. Keep emailing us. (laughs) No, but anytime we won't use it against you. Anytime anyone mentions if stops, I go, you're like, Ooh, what? what? All right. This person might know a thing or two about about optics. Um, But uh, she is not a Star Wars fan. I tried watching both the fourth and fifth movie uh, while I, and while I sort of appreciated them, I wasn't in love with them. My parents never got me on the Star Wars track when I was a kid. I was never had an interest in seeing the prequels during my elementary middle school years. And, uh, you know, you kind of dodged the bullet there. <laughs> why, do, why do I feel like this email is going to just be uh, in agreement with Shahir? I don't know. I'm just, I'm guessing. Um, middle of the road. I saw The Force Awakens, and even though I liked, even though it was very nostalgic, I thought Rogue One was all right, but then the, this series wasn't for me. However, I did take the su- time to see Star Wars the Last, Jedi, the Last Jedi, and while it was okay, I actually went to see Jumanji later that night and enjoyed it more than The Last Jedi. Oof, I uh, say that having not seen Jumanji That's yet. true, but but I, this actually points to a really interesting article that was in the Washington Post that, that a friend of mine tweeted out this week, which was about the idea that we should start Stop judging Star Wars movies on a curve, which is by saying we should stop judging them based on their relationship to the previous movies and start judging them as single movies on their own. I think that'll start happening more and more uh, just as these become yearly events. I think I, I, I actually think it's happening less and less because we're seeing like a movie released every year and it's like, oh, well, maybe this wasn't that great, but it connects to this somehow. I bet you, I bet you, but but don't don't ever discount uh, uh, people getting tired of a thing to further rip it apart. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. So like, I do think it will wear the public down. Now I'm saying all this. I'd also saying that, uh, I still really like the last Jedi and I think I'm, I'm judging it on its own, but I, but I also understand some of the things I've now that I've perused uh, Maya's email, uh, that she's going to be saying. Um, I mean, I don't want to give too much. I think we made the mistake of giving away too many spoilers in the last time we talked about the oh, last Oh, that Jedi. is true. But, but, but so I don't want to get into too much of what, uh, her specific grievances about the movie. She did say she hated it when Palpatine came back in a Jar Jar mech. Yeah. Jar Jar was uh, back. Uh, Misa. So Palpatine-ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, Misa, do 
it. I mean, I guess the main thing was she felt that the, she felt that the humor was uh, off key and nobody laughed in her theater. It was awkward. Uh, she felt Laura Dern should have been introduced earlier in the movie. Agreed. Um, and overall, yes, you're correct. I agree with Shahir about this movie. I felt it was all right, but some, but not something exciting. I think all the materials there were for the movie, but weren't placed as smoothly as it could have, should have been. Uh, thanks, love you podcast again. Uh, thank you, Maya, uh, so much. Yes, for thank you very in. much. Um, I next don't, time, next time, right? Next time, write about a movie where you agree with me, though. That'd be nice. <laughs> I just, I don't like being that person who like wants to shit all over this. Yes, movie. you no, do. No, I really, I, re I really don't like being that person. I feel like you live for it. I feel like you live for that. Like I live for the MCU. Like I feel like, I feel like it's no, just no, no. That you are completely one hundred percent wrong there. I want these movies to be good because of this next email I'm going to read. Okay, uh, from Tom who wrote on our Facebook page. Um, he had written previously and we, we talked about his discussion. I think I was a little bit dismissive last time because I am feeling the, the, the kind of weight of how much these films take up a cultural space where I just don't, and I, and I just don't care enough about these movies. I don't think they're, I don't think they merit the kind of cultural conversation that they garner. Well, that's not a dismissive comment at all. No, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not on that one. But uh, Tom just got around to listening to uh, our, our my response to that. On the Star Wars discussion at the beginning around this message I sent in, I totally agree with Shahir. Again, I'm not, I'm not making this up, um, that it is a bizarre <sighs> amount of space uh, for a not great film like Star Wars occupies in the social context. And I'm not going to carry on the debates about what the merits uh, the film itself has. I will spare you that. As you say, it's been done to death. The thing is, I don't even like Star Wars that much. Not even the original. Originals. They're fun, but they're not massively special to me, which I see as quite flawed in many ways. And yet I still end up getting caught up in the hype, especially in the analysis. This is quite interesting to me. It is no doubt correlated to the popularity of the franchise. The same applies to Marvel and previously Harry Potter too. These behemoths create a large part of the current social backdrop. And I think there's a psychological element that drives us to engage with them, even if they aren't critically great. There's an element of wanting to fit in of fearing that we uh, that without engaging would be left out of society. But I don't think that's the full story. I think there's also a drive to understand social norms, which these fandoms become, that we need to analyze changes that sweep through our community and either adopt if positive or warn others if negative. Presumably, this is something you've spent a long time considering, so it'd be interesting to get your view on it. Uh, I have an opinion on this. Matt, uh, do oh, you want to... I do, I do, too. Uh, I think it's always... Look, um... <laughs> I think if you're not a Star Wars person, then this is something I've found. Okay, no, let's back up. Let's even go to Harry Potter, and I could totally see the opposite of this. So Harry Potter was something that I have never felt a kinship to. Okay. I've I've felt um, I just I tried reading the books. I've watched a lot of the movies, and I just I don't I just don't give a shit. I don't. <laughs> yeah. And and so from that angle, I can totally understand the not giving a shit about Star Wars thing. Mm -hmm. I also understand this is this is something that happens to me, and I guess this is a uh, socio sociological sort of um, sort of feedback loop but i get and i i'm, I'm gonna say it i i get irrationally upset mm -hmm. uh when people constantly praise harry potter okay and it's and and it, on the gut level i'm like it's fucking stupid they're they're magic rhymes and it's all kitty and nonsense and bullshit and that that's true sometimes but it's definitely not true all the way mm -hmm. and i think it's because it's something that doesn't speak to me but speaks to so many other people that instantly my gut lizard brain reaction is 
well, everyone's wrong and I'm right. And this is, this is, I mean, this is stupid. Even though, it, but because. Yeah, wouldn't, they, wouldn't that work for the MCU and Star Wars then as well? Because they're so popular? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Right. I'm saying people that aren't uh, fans of these franchises, I feel like the, will have the same sort of gut reaction or sort of dismissive reaction that I do towards Harry Potter. Right. I'm saying I don't think that reaction is um, entirely fair mm-hmm. or 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 correct because what it comes down to, if I want to dig deep into myself and look at why I pour on the haterade for Harry Potter, mm-hmm. it's because I feel left out okay. because okay. I don't enjoy them. They're there and everyone enjoys them mm-hmm. deep down. I'm like, well, maybe there's something wrong with me <laughs> that I can't enjoy these films and, or these and these books and, or this world that has that has engrossed the planet. It's because you're a muggle. See, <laughs> sure. But, but do you get what I'm saying? Like there's there is a there is an intrinsic oddity to not being part of the majority and a social aspect of something that, that literally comes up. Even the fact that you use the word muggle in my brain, I'm like, mother, come on. (laughs) It's like, but muggle is, is, is probably the same. uh, People probably know the same amount of people know what a muggle is that know what a Jedi is. Right. And so I think there's, there's a weird, there's some sort of correlation of, of not fitting in uh, that might sort of poison this down the line as well. Do I think that's the entire thing? No, but that's where I, that's how I, that's how I approach the other side of it for things like Star Wars and Marvel, because I'm in the pro camp, okay. um, m- more Marvel than Star Wars. Really? Uh, what do you, what do you got? What do you think? Uh, I, I want to make this really quick. Um, we did touch on this in our Thor Ragnarok, uh, Ragnarok episode. And we were talking about specifically about the movie, the Florida project, uh, check out the, both those reviews uh, available online right but, now, but specifically in Thor Ragnarok, we, we, we get into this topic a little bit as well. And I think there's, uh, there's a, degree to which these these films eclipse everything else because they are backed by a major corporation that has the marketing reach to to basically penetrate our lives in almost every facet so it's impossible to walk down a New York City street without seeing a last Jedi without seeing a Marvel uh, you know a Thor Ragnarok billboard and it's impossible for for smaller films to to get in under that now um so, so, you know, I, I think that to me, that's the reason why uh, these films get judged on a curve, so to speak, um, where they're where where a film like The Last Jedi, which I don't which I think ostensibly is not a very particularly good movie, can can take up so much cultural spaces because it just has it's it's a behemoth that is that is a, to be reckoned with. It is the empire at this point, and there's no denying it. And you so, just use a Star Wars reference to describe the socioeconomic it, things of Star Wars. Exactly. There you go. And, I think and, the curve goes both ways. That's my sort of point. The curve you're saying exists. Yeah. And mine does too. But but um, and and so I think the 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 problem that I have with it, you know, again, I try to watch these simply as movies. So so from a Harry Potter point of view, I really enjoyed the Harry Potter series until it became a serialization uh, issue, which I think happened around the Goblet of Fire. The um, the Prisoner of Azkaban is clearly the best film there, made by the best director who worked on these movies, um, and that is Alfonso Cuaron. And 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 the and and there was a point at which I think it was in the Goblet of Fire or something like that, where it was like, oh, you're not making a movie anymore; you're making references to Harry 
Potter within your movie. And and that's what the films had become. And and there was, uh, I think it was the last one, the Half-Blood Prince Part 7A, where I was like, no, you know what? <laughs> I'm out. I'm not giving any more money to these. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not engaging in this, in this exercise anymore. Uh, and I haven't seen the last one for that reason. I was like, I haven't you, either, actually. You, Although uh, they're all on HBO now. They're all and on I was HBO just like, Go. you've just, you've, you've done away with me. I do, but, but. Uh, I think in all my dismissiveness, there is something to be said about uh, something that Tom mentioned in his e- in his uh, message to us, which is that the collective experience is important, and the and and the debate around whether it's good or bad is an important debate to have. Um, and and I think uh, as much as I wish that the you know that that a film like the Florida Project got more eyes on it. Um, you know, if, if, the, if a film like the Florida Project became as culturally relevant as Star Wars, if it could become as culturally relevant as, as Star Wars in our particular economic society, then I would be, uh, I think, much more excited about that and less dismissive of Star Wars. I just feel like there's an unnecessary... Uh, conversation around Star Wars that the films themselves don't merit. As I've said before, for me, Star Wars is a two out of nine mo- no, you know, I franchise. Get it. But I think, I think, I think the the fact that you don't think they merit the discussion, the level of discussion, is based around the fact that the films themselves don't speak to you. But no, it's not just that they don't speak to me. I just don't think they're very good. Well, you don't. Films. I, well, sure, but for that reason, you don't care as much. And in your own head, you're like, well, why is everyone talking about this so much? Because this isn't that important. The Here, thing about it, but hold on. The thing about it is, Here, I just want to add a counterpoint to that. Mad Max Fury Road, a film that is in the world, the ty- the style, the genre of film, I think merits all the discussion in the world. Sure. I think that is a film that we should spend as much time talking about far, far yeah, more than Star Wars. It has nothing to do with my my distaste for the franchise. It has it has everything to do with my feeling that they're not very good films. I understand that, but the reason you feel that way about Mad Max is because you think it's an amazing film. You think it's an amazing film. Right. I think it's an amazing film. I think The Last Jedi is a really good film. Not, a, not as good as Mad Max, but we're not even, that's not the comparison I'm trying to do. But, I think, and whether or not, but here's here's the thing. Last Jedi is forming people either are in love with this thing or they fucking despise it. And either way, that is more, there's a, there's passion to both sides of those things, a light and a dark, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, where you, because it just, because you're saying to, in, your, in your opinion, it's just not good. It's just like, whatever. <laughs> you you don't even have that fire on either side. So that's you being like, well, I don't, why are, why are we talking about this? But what I'm saying is culturally, there's a fire. Right. And that's why it's there. Now, I understand. Then we go cycle. We talk about his his Facebook message where uh, how it's just the corporations are sort of gearing it towards this stuff. But there. But I mean, if the if the revelation of this entire conversation is the deck is stacked. Yeah, uh, that that's the revelation. But that's not that's not a revelation at all. That's that's yes. The deck has been stacked since before films were a thing. Right. The the deck is stacked (laughs) in favor of Star Wars. And just I you know, like I just you know, just remember at some point. Star Wars was an original property. Star Wars was something that nobody thought could be, and that, that must have been such an. And and now meet the new boss. Yeah, same as the old boss. I, I mean, I think there was an amazing statistic recently: the top twenty-five films of two thousand and seventeen. There is one original film in that list, and that is Dunkirk. 
That's the only film that is not a sequel that is not based on uh, a book and not based on an existing franchise. So yeah. we just live in a time where that is the case in a film like the Florida project, for example. Now I, I, I love the Florida project. I think it's a great movie. Um, it's not my most favorite movie in the world, but I would, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a movie that warrants more, more passion, passionate discussion around it. But the, the, the dick is stacked. I think that, that film that the Florida project is a film that's topic deserves more passionate discussion around it. I don't think there's, there's not as much of an intricacy and for better or worse, to, there's a lot of like emotional intricacy, I guess, but you can talk about that and that's sort the of thing. But Star Wars and the Star Wars sort of zeitgeist, the world they put forth is made to be picked apart where the Florida project is made to be experienced and for you to think about its subject matter more. I think that's a that's sort of a different thing. So I don't think the Florida project or a film of that ilk even, even if the deck even wasn't stacked, I don't think it would do it. It would be culturally helpful, but the conversation wouldn't be as strong. People wouldn't be like, I think this is fucking garbage or I am. And so like, it's just, it's I not get, the same. I thing. guess maybe the thing is, is that that kind of rhetoric, the, the sort of like fanboyish pick apart thing. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. I, uh, like you, I think there is a there is a something to be said about the passion that it inspires. It's the to me, it's the same sort of um, psychological rhetoric that happens around sports teams. You know, which is it's that it's the exact it, same, thing. which is like it's meaningless, but it's like gets people something to do. Marvel versus DC. Who gives a it's shit? A, like a, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and and you know, like I I. Jodie Foster said something this interesting this week. How uh, is Jodie doing? Jodie's doing great. She okay. directed an episode of Black Mirror recently, which I heard was great. Wonderful. Um, she said something interesting, which is that she doesn't want to do a superhero film unless it's like psychologically interesting. She's a director, as you know. Um, and she 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 made a comment along the lines, and again, we don't want to like take things out of context. I don't have the comment in front of me, but she said something along the lines of she feels like these films are poisoning the intellectual well of American subconscious or of American film going. And, and, you know, I think that's probably the harshest way to characterize what she said. James Gunn actually responded to this. James Gunn was asked about this on Twitter and he said, look, I think this is coming from a slightly old fashioned point of view, but it's not without, ba it's not entirely without ba any basis whatsoever. I think, I think, you know, yeah, th that, th that, that is something that, that, and, and again, I don't think she's entirely wrong, but that is a statistically uh, across all media, be it, plays, novels, music, etc. The older generation always says that about the younger generation shit. Now, James Gunn makes a thing like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that is both things. It's meaningful and it's popcorn fluff. Uh, whereas, uh, let's say, Justice League is just popcorn fluff. And there's a re the, the reason why Guardians of the Galaxy 2, there's a lot of think pieces on it and there's only really think pieces about why is this so mediocre about Justice League? And the answer is because there's nothing there. But it still makes money. And I think that's 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 the issue that I think she's getting at is that money is a reflection of popularity, even if even if it's not a reflection of of, of critical consensus. Sure. And and that signal of popularity and this is the biggest reach I'm going to make with this. Here we go. Uh, and it's a reach to be explored in much more detail. Read Richards this shit. Um, in some way, but it is the reason we have Trump as a president is this, this the poisoning of our intellectual capacity and, and the, and the popularization of, 
of populist thought without any thinking behind it. I agree to a point. I think that ev- it's the biggest reach, and it's and there's a lot to I be explained. Of course, between. and and the only the only it's not even a rebuttal. I'll say to that because I don't disagree with it on a on a purely macro level, but on a micro, uh, we are all responsible for our own mental acuity and well being, and uh, I, you know, lulled into a false sense of security or not, uh, I, it's it's. Trickery only works if you buy into it. And and I understand there's education. I understand there's in the media constantly, whatever. But like, look, I came up in in the the landscape of every piece of content when I was growing up was made to sell me hunks of plastic in the shape. <laughs> it still is. It's still, but but not as much anymore. Like the, well, it's the, not it's, meant to sell to you right now. No, it's no, meant no. to sell to younger people. But, but like action figures and stuff aren't as big. Now it's all apps and games yeah. and things, but it's the same sort of thing in, yeah. in Marvel, whatever. But like, and I was able to uh, think for myself as many people I know who are involved in the same sort of uh, sea of interests can too. It's a matter of, it's, it's so many, it's so many societal and, and, and um, I mean, you can tie it with um, uh, financial things or, or, or anything. Uh, it is, it is one symptom of it, but I don't think it is, or uh, it, it's not the actual virus itself. The virus itself is uh, people not being taught in general to think for themselves. Sure. Uh, and I, I agree with that. I'm sure there's a fun study. I remember there was a case study made with the amount of uh, the, the um, cause cor- correlation between uh, obesity and Krispy Kreme locations. Yeah. And I, would lo- I would love to see a, uh, a correlation study between the popularity of of certain movies and and say for example the voting uh, against your own interests. Yeah. Uh, um, this got heavy. Can, can we can Tom, we just can thank we, you so much. Thank for you this. Tom. Yeah. Uh can we can we just move on to talking about fucking some fish? <laughs> can we just do that? Can can I just read a couple more tweets before we go? Uh, uh, but I want to talk about the fish fu- fine. You fine. Talk about fish fucking. Yeah, um, but no you know no you know what the, the <laughs> listeners I want it I want to hear from the listeners more than talk about fish fucking. <laughs> we we just had uh, a nice tweet from Jonathan Blade a great Twitter name again. Oh. Oh God, I love it! Uh, who lumped us in with uh, uh, their, fa- their favorite uh, podcasts of the year? Uh, Movie Bob is still his greatest of all time, but we were we were in amongst uh, his his favorite podcasts of the year. I agree with the Movie Bob stuff. Check out Movie Bob uh, over at geek.com or his uh, movie, uh, the Movie Bob, I believe, is on YouTube. And, and Alias wanted to, uh, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing that cor- correctly. Alius, it's spelled uh, sure. A E L I U S. Wanted to say uh, I wanted to weigh in on our debate around high esteem and love, which I uh, would characterize as the KFC milkshake debate. Um, you people can go back and listen to that in our Jingle All The Way episode. Does KFC even have milkshakes? I don't even remember. I've never ha- I haven't okay. had one since I was like a little okay. kid. Okay, I don't think they do. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it was only a New Zealand thing. Um, but uh, Alias wanted to say, I have to weigh in on your debate around high esteem and love from the latest episode. There are things that I know are trash, but I love them anyway. If people can't love trash, then how do you explain anime? Um, I have not watched enough anime to, I, to, 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 to comment on that, but uh, thank you for waiting. I even have to do this. I'm sorry. That was sick bird. Why have you not pulled that out more often? I don't know. That cause is like, I don't want to abuse it. Yeah. That is like, you could, you could use that every time we get into an argument. <laughs> just, just shut it down <laughs> yeah, right would, quick. Uh, but moving along to some, some just the, the time. Amphibian lovemaking. I just got a couple tweets right now. Amphibian love making not fish fucking i am sorry uh, i i think fish fucking is fine but fish he's not a fish is- and they were in love why is he not spoiler a, is he alert you know he he's an amphibian 
I think uh, it's the credit oh, can, as amphibian man. Because he can walk and he has that uh, thing. Yeah. He, he would be right at home and Kevin Costner's Waterworld, right? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. maybe this is a sequel. We uh, don't know. I'm pretty sure this is a prequel to Hellboy. Oh, or yeah. a sequel to Waterworld, an alternate timeline, because the, the smokers. Oh, no. Tell us what we're talking about this week, Matthew Crawl. The Shape of Water. Uh, I'm just going to read the movie description, and then we'll get into uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, <laughs> and why he's so fucking lovable. In a 1960s research facility, Alyssa, a mute janitor, forms a relationship with a mysterious aquatic creature. Aquatic? Aquatic? Aquatic. Aquatic? That's the way aquatic? I aquatic. Aquatic. I'm from I'm from New England. Pakistan, Harvard Yard, and pay aquatic, the guy a quarter. Aquatic sounds like a duck. Aquatic. Aquatic sounds Listen, like you're about to quack. You're bad. Go go <laughs> to the the uh the, the fucking fish museum. What are they called? The aquatic aquarium. Aquatic. Go to the aquarium. Aquatic. 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 Right then. Aquatic. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's what the movie is. Guillermo del Toro back at it again. This hokey, lovable man. I you know I, I have to say Guillermo del Toro is probably the inciting incident for this podcast without even realizing it. What did he do? He made a film that you and I, it was the first film that you and I saw together. Oh, Pacific Rim? It was Pacific Rim. <laughs> you and I saw, and, and I, and I got to be honest with you, it was the moment you and I realized we had very different tastes because I walked out of that movie and go, man, I fucking hated that movie. And you were like, I fucking loved that yeah, movie. It was really fun. And it was like, and it was like, huh, there's something to, you know, like, and we were like talking about it to each other. And it was like, I think, and it, it is a Pacific Rim is exactly the film that would divide us 100%. And then we first, so we come back with Mad Max. And yeah. And I think it, it was just, it was the first time that you and I like got to talking yeah. about our differences of opinion. Yeah. Um, so, so Guillermo del Toro, uh, whether you realize it or not, you are the reason this podcast exists. Oh, he's the best. I mean, look, <laughs> Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Pacific Rim. I liked, uh, I'm, you know what I'm really sad about. Again, this is just speaking to my sort of sensibilities, him and Kojima's, um, uh, uh silent, silent hill, hill yeah. project when, K uh, Konami, uh, when Konami tanked that fuck Konami, go yeah. Jim Sterling. Uh, the yeah, that was really sad when that was gone, and, and yeah. So but, so you're you're a fan. Obviously. I am, and and I um, <sighs> never have I seen a thing of his where I'm like, I I didn't walk out enjoying it. Right. Uh, he's I um, I hate the term, but I think he's one of the only people I would use it for. Prolific. He's just sort yeah, he of makes a lot of stuff. He makes a lot of stuff, but like really like a lot of worthwhile stuff, meaning everything I've seen of his is incredibly worthwhile. His, his name value has meaning to you. His, right? his, if he is attached to a project yeah. instantly, uh, that project has, um, uh, enjoyable societal clout, right. uh, in my mind. Um, and this was, this was, it's funny because if you take this premise, so the, yeah. even the premise I read, and that's not a great one, but like about, a, it's, this is basically a spiritual successor to what if the woman was actually into the creature from the Black Lagoon kidnapping her. That's right. kind of what it is. Right. Uh, and he said in an interview, I think it was on Kimmel, uh, that he's been like wanting to make this since he was like planning it since he was six. Because huh, he's like, oh, well, the, I mean, the girl. He had some goldfish that he was really attached to. Well, no, he <laughs> saw a creature from the Black Lagoon and he's like, oh, well, the girl's unconscious. She, like, but he was a little kid mind, you know? He's yeah. like, oh, she's probably having fun or like whatever and like it sort of stuck with him so he's yeah. been trying to make it but any I can't 
I, you know far more directors' names than I do, but I can't think of another director that, with this premise, that I would want to see their take on it more right. than Guillermo del Toro. I, I will say this about Guillermo del Toro. First, uh, first off, uh, he was in New Zealand for about four or five years working on the um, the Hobbit uh, prequels, mm-hmm. um, and he is, uh, by all accounts, a lovely man. A friend of mine was um, trying to get funding for his first feature film, and uh, he knew someone who knew someone who knew knew Guillermo del Toro and Guillermo, you know, like ba- they basically asked him, would you come out to a fundraiser for us um, to, to raise money for my first feature film? And Guillermo agreed. He was like, I'm happy to help any independent filmmaker get their first film made. Uh, this year's um, movie, It, directed by and- uh, Andy Muscati, I think his name is, I'm, I'm probably saying that wrong, only exists because Guillermo del Toro saw uh, Andy's first short film, Mama, and uh, and loved it and agreed to finance help him finance his first First um, feature film, the adaptation of Mama. So uh, he is a lovely, loving man. I actually sat next to him uh, at a play uh, I saw, Waiting for Godot, with uh, Ian McKellen and, and Guillermo del Toro oh, was nice. next to me, and he was, and he's just a lovely, lovely guy. Can um, he smell like cinnamon? He seems like he would, right? He just he just I, seems like he just he just I, you just want to be around him all the time. Yeah, I I I, I think he's uh, from and from all accounts of everyone I know who worked with him at uh, uh, on the Hobbit, they said he is just a wonderful person to be around. Gregorious, uh, Gregorious. Uh, I'm not sure if that's it. Probably is the right term. I have to think about. He's that. He's loud, but he's always fun. You're I, never annoyed by him. I don't, they, they wouldn't describe him as loud. He's very intelligent. He's very oh, no, I know, mannered. But like every, and I'm only going off of the multiple yeah. interviews I've seen of him, but he's always very excited. And he's talking like this. He's very, he's very open and, and excited about everything, which also remember nice. we did our review of uh, the devils and he is a passionate, passionate uh, supporter of that film. Oh, and you yeah. can see every interview of him talking about, he's a, he's a cinephile in the truest sense. Uh, he's also written a book about Hitchcock, uh, which I've always wanted to read, uh, but it's only available in Spanish. He wrote it before um, uh, before he was a film, you know, before he made his first film, Chronos. Buy it, throw it on Google Translate. Um, um, and and, and uh, uh, speaking of which, that that fundraiser that I went to, he talked about how he got Chronos made, and it is just a it's a lovely story. Um, here's the thing about my relationship to Guillermo del Toro movies. I think he's a wonderfully talented filmmaker. I think, um, and and I think he is incredibly, incredibly gifted in almost every aspect of filmmaking. Um, but I've never loved any single one of his films, uh, even Pan's Labyrinth. And, and, huh. I, and I have a strange relationship to Pan's Labyrinth, which is I saw Pan's Labyrinth and I said, this is by all accounts a perfect movie. I cannot fault this movie in any way. I think it is from start to finish, um, there is a degree of perfection in here that is impenetrable, but I don't love it. And I can't quite fall in love with this movie. And I, and I, and I, and I've, and this is more of a me, a me thing than the movie thing, because I know that film is perfect. I can, I can see how well executed, how well conceived that movie is. Um, and I think the same about Hellboy. I, 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 I again, Hellboy is not for me, but I watched Hellboy one. And I was like, that is way better than it should be. And I watched Hellboy two and I was like, that is way, way better than it should be. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, that, that's a, that's, that's how these movies should feel. Uh, you know, like even if I, if I don't love it, I'm like, 
oh, I see what's, you know, I see why people would, and I see what's going on here. These movies, if you look at the, like, the liner, just like a one or two sentences about them, should just be a garbage fire, but he, <laughs> but he just, he manages to make them, even if they're not your cup of tea, he manages to make them the most, the most delicious pot of chamomile you've ever had. That's it. I didn't love Pacific Rim. In fact, I outright really disliked Pacific Rim, but, th- but yeah. at the same time, there were moments in Pacific Rim where I was like, oh, you know, this guy's good. Well, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. Particularly those the scenes around the young uh the the japanese girl as she was a young child yeah. i think that stuff is really really good the uh it's interesting because uh, pacific room 2 which he's not uh yeah. directing uh, the trailer came out and at first i was like "Ooh, cool but i saw it at comic-con so i think the nerd was leaking into my opinion yeah uh and then uh the interesting thing to me was i watched the trailer again i'm like oh this has zero magic this right. is like this is this is the thing that Guillermo del this is this is a Guillermo del Toro film with his but you can you can fucking see the void that he left right and it's going to be soulless and 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 kind <laughs> of monstrous in its own right right um but so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right into just my thoughts about the shape of water which sure are, which are exactly the same yeah, thoughts I have up, we're about 36 minutes in let's yeah, talk about fine. this movie uh, which are exactly the same thoughts I have about pan's labyrinth which is that the shape of water is a great movie you should go see it there is no doubt in my mind that 99.9999 percent of the people that listen to this podcast will love the hell out of this movie because it is immaculately crafted. It is beautifully written. It is heartfelt. It juggles so many different strands of story in a way that most people could never fathom and brings them all together beautifully. It is uh, the, the the notion that, that we would have a central uh, mythological creature that is a man in a suit as opposed to a CGI creation. God bless it works so well in this movie that 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 in itself is just a sight to behold couple that with the fact that ultimately what is while this movie is political uh, and it has a sense of 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 social conscience around it it is also at the very core of it a love story that is earnest that is heartfelt couple that on top of the same thing that i loved about pan's labyrinth was that it is not afraid to shy away from both sexuality and violence in equal measures. And that to is To not shy away. Yeah, to not shy away from those two things. And that is something that I've always talked about on this podcast is something that I really appreciate when a film has the guts to to basically treat those both those subject matters with equal zest and vigor. That's it. All of that's it. Uh, and I've been thinking about this for a long time is is I still don't love this film. And I, and I, and I know in order to, to fully engage with this movie, the thing that you need is to be in love with Sally Hawkins character and the love that she feels for the asset, the, the creature played yeah. by Doug Jones. And, and I just don't feel it. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is Guillermo del Toro talked a lot about how he, uh, he listened to the soundtrack for Punch Drunk Love while mm-hmm. writing this, and, and the soundtrack for this film was kind of orchestrated around um, uh, John Bryan's score for Punch Drunk Love, which is a score that I love. And, and I wanted to think about the, my relationship to Punch Drunk Love and my relationship to The Shape of Water. Punch Drunk Love is a movie where I am in love with that movie. I am completely 
in love with that movie. And, and the, and the distinction there is, uh, you know, I was thinking about my response again, is that when I'm in love with a movie, the boundary between me sitting in the, in the, in the theater and the movie basically melts away and there is no boundary anymore. And I'm just in the movie. And that doesn't, didn't happen with the shape of water. And I think the reason is, is that there is, while everything works in this movie, while the writing is beautiful and wonderfully considered and, and everything sits up and pays off perfectly. And, and, you know, not just in terms of like, we have a scene that sits up something and then it pays off later, but that that scene is also connected to the theme of the entire film. It's not just that. I think the problem for me there is I can see the writing in this movie. I can see the work that's going on mm. to make this feel constructed and the boundary between the film and myself watching this movie never quite melts away. Now, again, that is a personal response and that is something that, that I just simply haven't quite managed to come over. And it is literally the, there's a je ne sais quoi, a my, like a little X factor that is missing for me personally. But it is a wonderful film. It's a wonderful film to experience. I'll tell you what my version of that is because I have a, a very similar outlook, but for a different reason. I don't think it's the writing I'll get into or seeing the writing on the wall, so to speak. Uh, but uh, again, praise, praise, praise. The whole thing is amazing. It's like an ape sapient origin story from Hellboy, which I loved. It's not really, but it <laughs> might as well be. Yeah. Um, everyone acted their faces off. Uh, my, uh, Michael Sh uh, Shannon uh, yeah. just killed it. Sally Hawkins uh, um, just it just destroyed this on multiple uh, Octavia Spencer mm -hmm. killing it. Uh, it was just it was uh, uh, an all star cast just doing all star things. Um, the the oh, another thing I like just from a technical aspect real quick. They shot most of it dry for wet. Mm hmm which only one actual shot is underwater. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, uh, you know, slowing the camera down, putting fog in the, in the thing. It just, Oh, it's so fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, and it looked great. And, and I loved how, despite it being a love story and, you know, it's sort of doing the same thing. Like we were talking about societal norms, unconventional couples in the 1960s are the good guys trope uh, helps in the midst of, you know, the racism, sexism, et cetera, of the time. Uh, it didn't shy away from the fact that one of the two love interests was a legit, cat eating monster mm -hmm. like it and, and monster being something that you don't understand, but something that doesn't uh, definitely does not sit within our societal norms right. uh, and and them it's it's real hard to make a character empathetic after it eats a house cat that I you mean, loved after the first thing at third. It's proverbially killing the cat. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, like that yeah. So um, but what where I thought and I don't know what this this is a trope in a couple of films lately um, that has been a bit bugging me. The the beginning of the love story feels great mm -hmm. and the end of the love story and when they're actually in love feels great. Mm -hmm. Them falling in love here. I don't a hundred percent by and it's because I don't think it's because of the writing. I was never taken out of the film. In fact, I came out of this movie. I, I blinked and it was over and then I loved it. And then I, as I was sort of writing up my notes for this episode, I was like, well, hold on. There has to be some stuff I don't like. And I was like, well, I guess the love story felt forced because that was the whole point of the movie. And then I was like, well, why did it feel forced? And I think it's because the way they handle the asset, the amphibian man, this river God, as we're told, uh, was worshipped in South America as a river God. Um, 
is they treat it more or, or let me and I'm saying this as the writers not the film itself mm-hmm. uh the, the 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 writers treat this more as an intelligent animal mm-hmm. and not a animalistic type humanoid level consciousness right and that to me is difficult to wrap my head around from a falling in love with it in a romantic sense level. Yeah, it's it's in, because essentially, relief. essentially the way that the way the it and I, I want to say animal is portrayed as opposed to character. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bestiality at a certain point. Now, I'm not saying we don't understand. I'm not saying dolphins aren't smarter than people, but it's not a human. But you don't want to fuck a dolphin. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 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 not a it's not presented to us as a familiar enough humanoid consciousness. Now, but but so on on a even though a 99% of this film works on a purely like this is the world's rules they set up level that doesn't fall in step with the rest of it until you take a step back. And especially with the very end, which we'll talk about, I'm sure at the at the end with spoilers, when it, you start looking at it in a bit more of a fairy tale for adults, yeah. allegorical, the message is more important than the nitty gritty of what's going on, sort of sense. Yeah. Um. Then then it works. Yeah. But I do think if you're looking like because it's so close to perfect, there is just this nit like this little bit that's like, well, that part didn't hit. I feel like if they just played the 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 river got a little closer a little less animal and a little more man or or human yeah uh i would have been able to buy into the of, of the moments that they're falling in love right and i i think i think you're right the 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 sense that this is a fable that this is there's a mythological quality yeah. to the story allows you to forgive that because because you're right in practice pragmatic terms the 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 love story between um between uh sally hawkins's character uh, alicia esposito that's right um and and i'm just gonna call him abe from now on call him abe um uh, is entirely one-sided in this film it's 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 entirely about her and we never really get a sense of of what (laughs) is probably some Stockholm syndrome going on. I, I mean, this is the thing. He is captured. He's a prisoner. And then he's, he's, he's having sex with his captor. Um, and, and, you know, well, like kind of, I mean, his, his, his liberator slash captor. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but you know, going from one prison to an even smaller prison, you know, uh, a bathtub, hey, at least he's not getting shock baton. <laughs> exactly. You know, kind of could, could feed into that. And, and, um, and you know, there are, I, you know, but, 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 but again, the, the love story isn't necessarily about these two people coming together. It's kind of more in the Rapunzel, you know, Cinderella-esque sort of version of it where the handsome prince is just this sort of figure. And and that's what Abe is to her. She, he is the, the figure that accepts her muteness. Uh, not, you know, she, she even has the line, uh, he's, he doesn't see me for what I lack, but he's excited to see me. And, and, and... Because he can't see that because he's an animal. <laughs> but... In the sort of fable esque oh, sense yeah, yeah. of the world, it's wonderful. You, you know, like, like when you all... find that person, and, and I say this about relationships all the time. Everybody has baggage. The important thing about finding a partner is finding someone whose baggage matches. Exactly. I mean, in like pu- in Punch Drunk Love, 
the love story between uh, Adam Sandler and uh, I'm forgetting the actress's name, but she's wonderful uh, from Breaking the Waves, and I've completely gone blank on her name. But the love story between those two characters is one-sided, and it doesn't make sense. But the film kind of wraps it in this sort of fable fairy it's warm tale blanket. <laughs> yeah, and and it kind of you just accept it. For example, you know, the little logic things like this is that, you know, like Michael Schubert's character says, like this is the most important asset that we will ever see in this facility. Because I think it'll make them be able to go to space like if they rip it apart and figure but out how it works the janitor can just walk in and see it and touch it on as it's there you know, sure you know kind of things like that they don't make logical sense but the film again wraps up in this world that that makes it work yeah and I, also oh sorry just spoiler alert too just real quick we'll get into it now because we're coming I'm letting this yeah. three fourths through um eventually uh elise does rescue uh or rescue and and brings her to her, her it brings abe to her apartment uh <laughs> and then they're like waiting for high tide to hit so the canal will open yeah the you're telling me he wouldn't just be okay in the canal? canal? Wait, like there's a calendar that they're counting yeah. down, which gives them the opportunity. But you gotta to have him get in the bathtub down. so you can use him as like a as a Hitachi magic wand for the next few weeks. Well, no, that's <laughs> no, that's not nice. Um, but the other, you know, like so, so this is where we'll get into the negatives uh, about this film for me, or or at least. You know, again, I don't want to preface these as complete negatives. They're just things that didn't connect to me, even though I think they actually work. And again, if that if that division between you and the film, ex, you know, like melts away, then all of this stuff works perfectly. And and again, on paper, all of this stuff works. But I I did find the the one thing I found troubling um, was the way in which the film uses sexual violence and racial inequality as shorthands for malevolence. So, so for example, yeah, define that. Uh, so there's a scene in which, um, Richard Jenkins, I love Richard Jenkins. He's such a wonderful actor, uh, is basically he finds there's a, there's a man who serves in pie, a, a waiter at a, at a pie store that he continues to visit. And, and Richard Jenkins is, is obviously gay in a time that doesn't, uh, that doesn't, uh, isn't warm to that idea. And, and he makes, uh, an advance towards that person, uh, who is, and he's promptly rejected immediately following that, that, that waiter, uh, basically ejects two African-American, uh, patrons to the to the restaurant um and that is uh that is a clear signal to the uh, for the film that this is not a good person and it's just it's it's it works i'm not saying it doesn't work but it's a shorthand that feels like a shorthand to me that doesn't quite that 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 doesn't quite land similarly michael shannon all of a sudden it's not all of a sudden it's it's again it's threaded because it works in the film it's threaded throughout the film michael shannon has some um uh, uh uh he he's making advances towards Sally Hawkins because she can't talk yeah. and he becomes you know for lack of a better word a little rapey mm-hmm. um and it, and intimates that he would take advantage of her and again i find that that is a that's a strange shorthand to introduce for his malevolence when his malevolence is clearly on display in the film and it's it, to me there are moments where i feel i i sort of like i feel the writing as opposed to I get embracing you. it I think I think so that I'm gonna go. He, he also Michael Shannon also makes racial intimations towards Octavia Spencer's character in the quote that I mentioned at the beginning of the film. Again, it's a kind of shorthand. It works, but I I find them like troubling so, shorthand. So I don't think the I'm gonna go backwards. I think the Michael Shannon with the racism thing I think is be- very baked into his character. I don't really think that's particularly shorthand. The part though about 
uh, him sort of forcefully uh, coming on to uh, Elise um, is is interesting because it's like when you have a hated character already, yeah, and like you already hate him, yeah. No, let's make him do one other awful thing. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, okay, yeah. like just you could make that scary without making it rapey. Like he's already awful. Everyone hates him. This is gonna make you hate him more. Just like another awful thing where it's like torture porny, which yeah. is I get that. Um, as far as the shorthand about the 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 side, uh, the the waiter, the the the. the bartender the bartender thing because that's a sort of side arc so uh giles is richard jenkins um yeah character one of my favorite characters richard jenkins has uh done since probably cabin in the woods uh the the that's sort of a side story and he's like an out of work illustrator because photos are taking over advertising and it's like just sort of a turning of the time sort of thing i don't think Okay. Yes, that is shorthand. Mm-hmm. I think it's well used shorthand. And I'm going to use Star Wars as an example. Okay. Because Star Wars takes too long in its B plots mm-hmm. and its B plots get boring. If they could use a little more shorthand, kind of like they did with this B plot in this movie. Yes, is it is it a fast way to get shit done? Yes. Do I want more of that story based on the weight they've put on its on its own thing in the movie? Not really. I want to get back to the other stuff. I'm more interested in all the other characters. And that side plot is a nice like, oh, yeah, real people, too. Right. But I I want that to be as efficient personally as possible. So I'm not what would take me out. And I think this is just a, a preference thing. Um, what would take me out is if they spent too much time there and then jumped back tonally to to amphibian lovemaking. Like, it's just it, it felt right to me. It was like a nice reprieve. There's a breath. Okay, social message, I get it. And then back to the A plot line. I think I think the thing I would say is that is that, you know, this film in many ways, it, you know, it has a political sentiment on its mind and that political sentiment I think is about this idea of um, the Russians rep- are trying to steal our, our fish people. A, repress- uh, a repressive society that is not embracing of the other. Yeah. And so the other in this film isn't just an amphibious person. It is African-American. It is gay. Uh, it is Russian. Um, it is it is everything that is other is a threat to the normalized women. society. And women as well. Yeah. Yes. And and the problem is, is that is that I think the the film compounds those things uh, in a way that makes the messaging feel a little bit more on the nose. So I think th- when when the waiter rejects Richard Jenkins' advances because he's not, you know, he's like, whoa, what are you doing? This is not what I meant. I think that's enough to tell that story. But then it continues on for him rejecting the African American people in the in the bar as well. It's, it's, ex- like, it's exploitive to the point of like hitting it for the hitting it for the batting it out for the cheap seats. Yeah, it's batting it out for the cheap seats. And it's the same thing with with Michael Shannon's yeah. character. Michael no, I see Shan- that. Michael Shannon's character is and Michael Shannon's character, I, I found him to be evil in an almost cartoonish way. Well, movie Bob put it. He's, he's like this type of character starter kit. You cast Michael Shannon. Exactly. And I was like, yep. Yeah. He's, he's evil in a movie sense way. And, and to a point where it was, it was sort of cartoonish and a little silly. And, and then, but then when you start adding, you know, like for example, the, 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 the sexual predatoriness of this character on top of that, it just kind of accelerates it into Okay, I get it. You're kind of going a little too far with this. Whereas if you, if you rely on the metaphor of his of his severed fingers, for example, and just played that out as as the central metaphor of the film, then I think that would be enough. But again, none of this stuff 
doesn't work. All this stuff is tied into theme. It's all tied into what this film is trying to do. For me personally, the, the thing is, is the, the, I, I, I want to say that it's those things, but it might not be at all. It might just be some little X factor in this movie that I just can't quite, quite wrap my head around, but it prevents me from falling in love with this movie, which is, which is what I think needs to happen in order to, into, in order to fully embrace this film. I have a theory. To, yeah, is I have my a cold, theory. dead heart? No, 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 not at all. For once, it's not your cold, dead heart. Yeah. Uh, I think what we were talking about, wow, it's weird this is tying back. I think what we were talking about in the beginning of cultural zeitgeist and, and discussion of things that uh, some might not deem worthy, or and, and again, maybe maybe Star Wars discussion as opposed to um, uh, the Florida Project is batting it for the cheap seats. I think... This is this what Guillermo's trying to do here uh, is is use this shorthand, use these the, like, you know, cheap seat hits to to punch engagement up for these people that aren't able to read the subtext as quickly that aren't that aren't trained due to movies to 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 read the subtext this, this quickly and clearly, these are the extra things. Like if you're get if you're just watching it and like turning your brain off, that's going to punch you in the, in the brain for a second. Be like, Oh shit, fuck that guy's racist yeah. or Oh shit. He's being a sexual predator. Like when before like a slight hand move or something that some people might get, maybe not everyone can. And I think these are, are moments that are added uh, possibly to, to get, to get the maximum amount of response out of the maximum amount of people. And I, and I know as a, as a filmmaker myself, I would rather add those in and get the extra 15 or 20% of people and have people like you and I that are they're thinking about this and talking about it for an hour almost be like, well, that was a little much. Yeah. I'd rather have that than have some people just not get it. Well, and again, it's again, none of this doesn't work. And that's, and that's the really tricky line here as well is that is the film does work and it, and it works for a number of reasons, but, it, but it is, and, and I think I'm just trying to figure out what is the X factor that makes this not work for me. And, and I think I, you know, I, I think the, the extrapolation point there is, and it's going to come into another review we're going to be doing shortly, but it's the, it's the amount of breathing room that you give the audience in order to discover the love in this film and to discover the, the malevolence in this film. And I, you know, as much as I had the same response to Pan's Labyrinth, I, I was far more taken aback by the evil presented in Pan's Labyrinth, I guess because of the wartime scenario, um, than I was by the evil presented in this film, which I felt kind of had this cartoonish edge to it. It did. It did. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting because for a, for Pan's Labyrinth, a film that's all about make-believe trying to get through its own, you know, yeah. get you through bad times. It's particularly violent. It's, it's particularly... It, yeah. yeah it's, uh, and in this, the tone is a little more like, um, yeah, cartoonish or like vaudevillian. Yeah. Um, and there's a dance number. There's a dance, and, the and dance, I love the dance number. The dance number works well. I think everything with Doug Jones, other than the the notion that we, you know, that we talked about earlier, which is that the 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 relationship that he forms with Alicia is Elicio, Elise, 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 is one sided, and we're not exactly sure how it works. You know, like how. We're not, we're not sure. Alyssa, Alyssa, I keep, yeah. yeah. How she feels about it. But again, there, there's like, there's that wonderful sense of cinematic symmetry 
that this film yeah. plays upon that, that 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 you know someone who's studied Hitchcock as much as as Guillermo del Toro as someone as well steeped in cinema is would like lay in there for example the decaying of Michael Shannon's fingers as they slowly grew you know blacken yep. throughout the film mirrored with the decay of Abe as he gets as he is further and further away from his home these fish scales start coming off and we know that there is this sort of there's only so much magic green dust you could put in the bathtub the, the sense that he's falling apart the sense that 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 you know this is a spoiler here but but uh, Elisa's um, Alyssa. Alyssa's um, voice has been taken away because of these scratches, uh, you know, that we presume something awful has happened. You know, she says something happened to her when she was a child. And that is the thing that Abe rips away from uh, from Michael Shannon's character at the very end. And then those things become gills. There's a wonderful cinematic poetry to all of that. The, the, the sort of the sense of structure and symmetry to all of that. Abe's got the magic. And also, also you know, like, for example, even just little things like when Michael Schulberg's character is shot through the face. Um, Michael Shannon? Uh, no, Michael Schu uh, uh, Michael Schuberg, uh, who's a wonderful actor, is going to be again. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who's, who's shot in the face, and then and then Michael Shannon's character Richard grabs him like a fish and like drags him along, yep. you know, like uh, on salt. Uh, on these giant salt yeah. mountains, uh, you know, like this, this is wonderful cinematic poetry at play here. Um, that that you know, he's clearly, you know, Guillermo del Toro is clearly an artist of the highest order. Um, he's clearly a person who knows and understands the construction of cinema in a way that most people do not. Um, I just don't know what it is. That I can't well, I quite think we've fall both, in I, love in this. With this is the thing. I don't think you don't know. I think we've laid out. I mean, you laid out your reason. I understood it. Yeah. I I laid out my reason. I understood that too. Like I think there's 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 things to be said about um the the structure and could you you can have the greatest building materials all the way through and build a piece of art that's like ninety nine point nine percent perfect for a lot of people. But had you done it. Had you had the skill or the time or whatever you want to, whatever resource you would need to do to create something like that, all of us would do it slightly different. Here's the, here's the thing. What he's done, and I'm going to relate this back to me as a filmmaker and, and my thoughts about filmmaking. What he's done here in this film is everything I wish I could do. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it's everything that when I sit down to write a film, I think, oh, this is the way you should do it because it makes logical, perfect sense. I remember once I wrote a screenplay and I had it um, analyzed by a writer in another country who, um, you know, came to me with some notes. And one of the things he came to me with was he was like, the, the distinction between true cinema and just storytelling is that cinema speaks to your amphibious brain. It speaks to this sort of no lizard brains. Oh, amphibian brain might be better. Yeah. He speaks to your, it speaks to this sort of instinctual sense, sense of self. And this is why, for example, um, Hitchcock works so well because it, 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 it speaks to this anxiety and paranoia that you have in real life. And I remember, uh, the year 2008, the two movies that came out that year were there will be blood and no country for old men. No Country for Old Men is without a doubt a perfect movie. I, perfect in more ways than I can ever describe. There Will Be Blood is a film that I, I was like, I couldn't quite figure it out. It took me three goes of watching it before I really started to fall in love with that movie. But the thing is, is that I found over time as I was thinking about it, the imperfections of There Will Be Blood 
led me to want to explore that movie much further than I wanted to explore No Country for Old Men. And the thing is here is that there is a degree of perfection in The Shape of Water that again is impenetrable. And it's and it's and it's it's obnoxious to cite that as a failure of the film because it's not. It is a perfect film. But but there is there is something the, if there is any X factor to to my love of movies, it is again that wall between me and the movie, and this, and I couldn't quite get over this wall, and and I I I, we, I, I hope we get to review it. I don't know if we're gonna get to review it, uh, but I watched the movie over the break called A Ghost Story. Oh, um, I want to see that the David Lowry film, and that is a film that is no way nearly as tightly constructed as this movie, but it is a film that I completely. 100% fell in love with. And it is a film that I completely, I forgot that I was sitting in a room watching it and I forgot and I melted away. With I get the, that. And you know, what you're describing, and you're going to hate this analogy, but what you're describing of that feeling is the way I feel with certain Marvel films, right? It's, it's, it's that ability to just rip my consciousness out of my body and put whatever it is in that, in that world for however long the film goes. And then you get thrown back in. Uh, and this, I do agree for, for whatever reason though. Then again, my final thing is uh, you should go see this movie, go see it before it's out of theaters. It's excellent. The shape of water go now spend your money. Yeah. It is worth it. Trust me. Yeah. Um, it, 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 and, and it went by the time was enjoyable and quick, but it never do. I think too, for me, the, the little bit of um, the midpoint of the love story, just not hitting was sort of a bit of a like, okay, like I'm not fully enthralled, but it's so much better than a ton of shit out. Like it, you should go see it. I, I think, uh, I feel like I'm talking in circles here. Should people pay money to see this movie? Without a doubt, you should pay money to see this movie. You should go out, see it. You should see it two or three times if you can. It is a movie that if you do get over that wall, you, there are riches to be had in this that 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 are delightful. I want to show people this movie. That's yeah. the other thing, too. I really like it when I could be like, most everyone I know will like this movie if I can get them to watch it. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, um, and, and Sally Hawkins, uh, if you, if you do enjoy in this movie, please go see a movie called happy go lucky, a Mike Lee movie that she is just an absolute delight. And I'm sure, uh, many listeners will know that film. Um, um, what the other, you know, just a, a little side thing here is I love that every, like nobody in this film is a draw card of an actor. Like, it's not like, sure. Oh, Michael Shannon's in this movie. I've got to go see this or Sally Hawkins in this movie. I got to go see this. Richard Jenkins is in this movie. I got to go see it. But all of those actors are the perfect casting for for this film. They're 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 names to people who know films, and they're perfectly cast in this movie. And it's it's you know like you could the, the case in point here is Sally Hawkins's character. You could cast a young starlet who's on her way up in that role, who possibly has sort of um, uh, a, a more. Um, I, how do I say this? Because sexuality is an important com characteristic about this character. You could have a very sexy woman play this character. And I'm not saying Sally Hawkins is not a very attractive woman. I'm just saying Sally Hawkins sexuality is a very different kind of sexuality to say if you had Natalie Portman in that role or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, I would say that Sally, Sally Hawkins is, uh, it's a human sexuality as opposed to what is sold to us star. as sexuality. Yeah, exactly. Which exactly. I like a lot. Yeah, which I liked a lot. And I and I think uh, outside of Michael Shannon's sort of cartoonish villainous, um, but even he has an interesting arc and, and his backstory about his role in the military is is fascinating and it works and it you know it really does play in this movie. So 
you know, as much, everything here works. This, this will be leading to my final thoughts. Everything here is wonderfully executed. It's beautifully executed. Um, I, I have a difficult time. I just think the, the, the key factor here is that you need to, for me, you need to fall in love with this movie. And, and I didn't quite fall in love with this movie. Uh, I know, was it Reed, Rich, Reed, Rick's Reed. Damn it. So from, close to making me just think of a Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Rick's you have to, you must, if you can read Rick's Reed's uh, review of this film where again, he, he cites, um, I think he, he, he says Guillermo del Toro is from Spain. He, he gets Guillermo del Toro's name wrong. He calls him Benicio, Benicio. del Toro. Yeah. Um, it is, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful piece of writing from a supposedly, uh, you know, master film critic, uh, who might be losing, you know, might be, I, I don't know. It happened to us all. Could happen to Hopefully. us. All. Maybe, maybe it's happened to us already, and we just don't know it. Yet. Oh my God, conscience is a bitch. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film The Shape of Water. Shahir, when you're not pouring water into various shapes that may or may not cause you to fall in love with said liquid, where can folks find you? Oh, did you just call me a bartender? Is that what I do? If I'm pouring liquids into various shapes that that cause me to fall in love, I'm a bartender. Or that would be to cause other people. Just like trying to be the Riddler, just then. You were the Riddler, you know. Like sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can find me stretching Matt's analogies on my website, although I won't do that on my website at all. www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D, which is links to my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, which you would never want to see. Matt. When you are making analogies about cinema in ways that leads me to believe that you might be a Batman villain. Sure. Where could people find you uh, hiding in your lair? You can find me kicking the doors of the Batcave uh, down at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, thank you so much for the iTunes reviews that have been rolling in. They have been very nice. I have enjoyed them. Uh, and uh, please keep writing us onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you thought of The Shape of Water. What's your favorite shape of water? What's your... What's the best container to pour water into? <laughs> I, if you have Wonder Twins w- memes, please send us. Send them our I way. I love the Wonder Twins. They're the goofiest superheroes. And we will giggle, giggle, giggle. Uh, thank you so much. We will see you next week for, I don't know what's next week, because we, you know what? Sometimes life just is not, it's not planned out in advance. Shahir. Perhaps life is fluid, like a, like a liquid that you might find made up of equal parts, uh, of two equal parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. Uh, uh, that that flows through your toilet. <laughs> wow. That yep. yep. Okay. That's wow. the only podcast about. By the way, I'm gonna take us out with a track from Punch Drunk Love because this movie was scored to Punch Drunk Love. This track was originally from uh, Robert Altman's uh, Popeye, which was appropriated by Punch Drunk Love, and then was written to um, this film, The Shape of Water. So there's an extension there that links Guillermo del Toro to Robert Altman. Take it away because he needs me. And I just used the toadies in the beginning. There you go. Weird. Later. Ribbit. Ribbit.